you'd make it, gang. <laughs> By George, it's nothing like a free lesson, is there? Not at all. Hey, would you like to hear the story of a fantastic robbery, Al? I mean, look, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, that that, uh, that robberies of one kind or another always excite, excite people. They really do. That I wonder whether or not Billy the Kid would be a folk hero today if, uh, let's say, uh, he uh, had taken up playing pool. Become, you know, uh, or, or if, uh, it just there's no way that the that the robber is a great folk hero. As a matter of fact, Dillinger, uh, Billy the Kid. These are folk heroes, you know? And uh, if you want to hear a fantastic... Only in Philadelphia, friends. Only. And uh, so listen carefully. If you didn't hear this story, it's, it's you know, it's, it's uh, the stuff of which legends are made. And Philadelphia has created several legends. A robbery attempt provided some unexpected winners recently at Liberty Bell Park. Now, Liberty Bell Park is a small racetrack in the area of Philadelphia. Bill Wilson... Cornwell Heights and his friend, Duke Sox, Nottingham, were there at 2.30 p.m. when a short, would-be thief climbed onto a stool in front of the $50 window on the second floor. Have you ever been to a racetrack? You know, they got $2 windows, $100 windows, $10 windows. And uh, Bill Wilson and his friend, Duke Sox, were there at 2.30 when a short, would-be thief climbed onto a stool in front of the $50 window on the second floor. And then the action began. The culprit sprayed a die into the face of the cashier, James Judd, grabbed fistfuls of $100 bills, and then strewed the money as freely as if it were confetti as he attempted to escape with part of the hall running like a maniac through the entranceway and out into the great concourse. A flying tackle by a security guard cut short the robber's escape, but not before he bestowed several thousand dollars on eager horse bettors, eager onlookers who stood around watching it. Everybody walked out a winner. Wilson laughed. Everybody. I heard one guy say, I was losing all day long, but now I got $1,000 and $100 bills to play with. When he started throwing the money, it was like a madhouse. Fist fights broke out all over the place, all over the racetrack. Women were picking the money off their clothes, and it was all $100 brand new bills. Even after the guards grabbed them, the people were still grabbing the money. Even from his hands as they carried them away, they were grabbing $100. Ah! They were like a human vacuum cleaner, the way they mopped that place up in seconds. Did Wilson get any money? Well, uh, not really, he said after a slight pause. But honest, it was the picture of a lifetime. It was right out of a fantastic movie. It was hard to see what he looked like. It seemed like he flew by in a split second. Man, that guy could move. And as he ran, throwing $100 bills, he kept hollering, Yo, yo, yo! <laughs> yo, yo! Oh, yo! He had squirted the cashier with some kind of ink. And it covered the guy's face, hair, and glasses. If the dye had gotten in my eyes instead of being stopped by my glasses, the driver might have gotten away. Judge said by phone from his Philadelphia phone. The judge felt the die in his eyes might have prevented him from shouting an alarm. But as soon as I screamed, he knew he was a dead duck. The guy came up to me over the window and screamed, Aha! And sprayed the stuff. I got a good look at him before he sprayed. He knew where to reach for the money, too. He was short, 
They say he had a stool with him to stand on so he could reach in, but I never seen him around before, but someone else said he had. <laughs> you know, uh, they can't figure out why he did it. That's, uh, you know, you would assume you know why a guy does something. He says, they, they, it's just a, I don't know why he did it. He said uh, maybe he was having a bad day at the track. And uh, they finally caught him. And uh, he says, I can't tell you what floor it happened on or anything. He says, next thing I knew, $100 bills was flying through the air like confetti. So we <laughs> caught the guy with a flying tackle. Now, I want to ask you a question. Now, now, let's, let's, let's be honest here for just, you know, let's, uh, just for a minute. Let's try honesty. When you've gone to a place like a bank, you know, you walk into a place that's, that's really loaded, now, I don't mean necessarily loaded with money, but it's loaded with importance. You know, it's, it's, a, it's got bars on the windows and people standing behind counters with bars in front of them. And you have to look through little slits to see them and all that. Do you ever get a slight fugitive urge to reach in and grab a handful and run? Do you, have you ever had that feeling? No, it's just a very faint feeling. Now, I'm not talking about... A specific thing. I don't mean a thing where it says, uh, hey, gee, wouldn't it be great to reach in and grab you know, $50,000 and run? That's pretty specific. But I mean, just a curious little fugitive, not even a, a thought, just a kind of fugitive, drifting, vague, almost an indefinable mood. You see it in there. And there's a big stack of it. In fact, the other day, I went to, <laughs> it was a very interesting moment. I went down to a bank, and uh, and uh, I was down there, you know, filling out one of those forms you always fill out. See, you know, there's all kinds of hanky-panky going on in places like that. Did I tell you about the one? I don't know whether I told you, Lee. Now, you know, a little funny thing happened to me here uh, the other day in a bank. Really a strange thing. Uh, I went to a, this bank, and I go to this bank. It's a bank, you know. Now, it doesn't make it which, which one it is. So I won't tell you. Just a bank, see. And you know when you go in to a bank, uh, they have these uh, tables, uh, like platforms, little desks set up that are on the wall and that, and they get glass tops on them, and, and they, they change the date, and they have a, you know, a little pen there, and you're supposed to make out your checks and stuff. Well, underneath the glass top, they have these little compartments where they have forms, right? You know, like a withdrawal slips and the... And, uh, and things like uh, deposit slips and that, they're all lined up there. The guy keeps going around, and he keeps refilling them, right? Well, I, I, without thinking anything at all, here was a stack of withdrawal slips, or rather deposit slips for a check, to, for check account. And uh, here's a whole stack of them. Well, I take out one of the deposit slips. You know, it's just a regular form. And I fill it out. I was making a deposit in a checking account. So I fill it out and, uh, you know, just name, address, uh, sign your name the way it appears on the account. You know, they always say that. And so you, I write down. And then over on the side, they have these little blocks where it says currency, cash, checks, deposit, how much you're depositing. And I write all that down there, see? And uh, I put it, put how much I was putting in, you know, I'm putting in $12, see? So I write, <laughs> I write it down at the bottom. Well, then I go over to the girl, see, and I, and I hand her the, the deposit slip and the money that I was putting in the bank, which happened to have been a check. See, I'm, I'm depositing in my account, right? So she takes the, she takes the thing, see, and she walks away, and she's starting to, you know, they, they process it. You know, they write things down, and they, 
they, uh, I don't know what it is, they work a little machine and stuff, you know, and they're just stamping a check and all that, like this. Well, just by a coincidence, I said to her, uh, and this was a coincidental thing, I said, say, oh, by the way, I said, could you give me the, the number of my checking account? Because I had just been given that afternoon a little thing that you put in your wallet, you know, one of these little uh, celluloid things, a little plastic card that has a, uh, a calendar on it. And on the other side, it has a place where you can write down the number of your checking account, the number of your check deposit account, the number of your, your deposit. In other words, a lot of little things, you see. It's one of those, it's a little thing they give away, you know, around usually the first of your banks give little calendars and stuff. Well, this, this was a, a plastic card that you fill out on the back. You, you, you put your own, it's for your own thing, you know. So somebody asks you what your social security number is, you got it written down, you know. Somebody asks you what your uh, checking account number is, you got it written down if you need it, see. Well, I can never remember all these, you know, these 500 numbers a guy has. So I asked her, I said, oh, excuse me, I said, uh, would you tell me what your, your uh, checking account, my checking account number is? And she looked at me for a minute, for just a brief second. She says, oh, well, well, yeah, she said, uh, sure. And she took the slip that I had just given her, a deposit slip, and she looked at it, and she started to give me this number off the slip. And then it hit her. She says, well, why are you asking me that when it's on the slip here? I said, well, I didn't put it on the slip. She says, wait a minute here. <laughs> at which point, she goes over to a big file thing, you know, one of these big circular files, and she goes in the back with a little phone. You know, they have, they're always making these mysterious phone calls. See? And uh, she starts looking through the file. She finds my name, and she, I can see her in the back there. She, she's uh, talking to somebody on the phone. She files my name, and she comes back, and she's written the number down, which happened to have been my correct number, the number of my actual checking account. And she had this slip with her. She says, where did you get this? She holds the, the, the slip up to me. And I says, well, it was over there in the desk there, you know, right by the door. She says, well, this is somebody else's slip. She says, we, we turn out, she says, this money was about to be credited to somebody else's account. <laughs> and I said, well, how, what do you mean? She says, well, you know, that we have, cert we have check deposit slips that come with a printed number on the bottom with, you know, your, your, your checking number account on it. I said, well, I never had any of those. She said, well, you must have had a few of them when you first started here, she said, but uh, we do have those. And then it hit her. She says, oh-ho! And I said, I'll be damned, that's a new one. You know what the racket is, don't you? Guys have their, that's not illegal. You could see how it wouldn't be illegal. They simply take a check deposit slip with their number printed on the bottom, which the bank does. You know, you can get dozens of those. You can get hundreds of them if you want. Just, they're blank slips, in other words, if you want to make deposits by mail or something. And so apparently what he did, whoever this person was, he just took a whole stack of these, and he came and he stuck them in the desks so that people coming in, you know, filling out the uh, form, wouldn't, wouldn't not, you know, it's just a check number. It's just, it's just a number on the bottom. They don't think anything about it. And uh, they write they write out their uh, their deposit. They deposit in the bank. The next thing you know, it's deposited to his account because the the machine apparently doesn't go by your name or anything. It goes by that number. Fantastic. And if I hadn't asked that girl, 
for the for my number as she was just processing the slip she would have deposited that money right in somebody else's account and uh, you know a lot of people don't uh, keep check of their checking account they really don't uh, this is WOR New York okay we have a note here for uh, the book find club and uh, <laughs> these are not my comments this is the copy comment it says did you ever read in bed and laugh so hard the peanuts rolled off your belly or go oh, man or get so absorbed in a book you forgot to set your alarm clock? Well, uh, there's a lot of books that the Book Fine Club has that uh, I think you'll enjoy very much. Well, the first one is Our Gang by Philip Roth, and the next one is Portno... Well, actually, The Defense Never Rests by F. Lee Bailey. And uh, there's all kinds of great stuff in this book. And if you are interested in some good reading and continued good reading, you should know about the Book Fine Club. They'll send you both of these books for $1. That's our gang, and the defense never rests, plus postage and handling if you call MU72552. As a Book Find member, all you need to buy are two more books in a year, and they're all quality books. So it's a good club to know about. The number again is MU72552, or send your name and address to Book Find, WOR New York. Uh, a lot of people don't keep keep a track of their checking account. You know, seriously, they just keep putting money in and they keep writing checks. And, and uh, whenever it gets low, they put more money in. Uh, you know people like that, Al. And, and so it's pretty obvious that if, if, if the guy put in a check, uh, who does that kind of thing, especially if you have a, a special checking account, that, uh, <laughs> you know, he put, a, put in a check, a couple hundred dollars, and never even know that that was not deposited to his account if he doesn't watch very carefully, you know, how much he puts in every month. And I was about to deposit money in another guy's account. And it all came about just because he, you know. <laughs> now, there would be no way a guy could take uh, deposit slips with his num number on the bottom and just by accident put them into the uh, desk like that. No way. Because I went back there. You know, I immediately went back to the desk. I said, wait a minute. I said, just a minute. So I go back to the desk, and sure enough, in the pile, you know, there was a little slot where they had about, you know, looked like a couple hundred of these things stuck in there. I just reached in, and the, the, the first top, I just peeled them off. There was about 30 or 40 of them in there on top with this guy's number. <laughs> and I brought them back to the girl. I said, these are all in that desk over there. And she had a funny look on her face. I don't know whether she'd ever heard of that racket before or not. But it was a totally different experience. And, and so I just, just uh, you know, I just... I don't know whether it was a racket or what. All I'm, all I'm doing is describing to you what happened to me. So at that point, I had to go back and take out another one of the deposit slips that did not have a number on it and fill it out completely. And at the bottom where it says, you know, check deposit, your, your checking number, I, there were those blank, those blank squares on the bottom, in which point I put my real number in there. However, uh, without thinking, I didn't even think. Uh, the first time when I filled out the, the deposit slip, I just saw those numbers in it. It just looked like an official slip, and I just signed it and went, went back. Now, I just wonder how many people have done a little thing like that. Boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's, uh, now, I'm not making any accusations. I'm not saying it was a racket or anything. I'm just telling you what exactly what happened. That is a, 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 an absolute factual report of exactly what happened to me in a bank. So... Uh, uh, and and uh, the the name of the bank is immaterial because it could happen in any bank, that kind of a thing, you know, obviously. Because every bank I've ever gone to has these desks, and uh, they all have these deposit slips in there, and they all have uh, 
pretty much the same kind of slip, as a matter of fact. You know, with a little thing, number in the bottom with the IBM numbers uh, and that. And so uh, it could happen in any bank. And, I, and I, it did happen to me. Now, I don't know how many guys who were in there before me to whom that had happened. So it, 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 it must be interesting. I, I just wonder, you know, it must, must be interesting to pe- guys work in banks. They must see, you know, 50,000 different types of flim-flams every week. Uh, that are, uh, many types of flim-flams come through every week. And, and so at this point, uh, <laughs> I imagine a lot of banks are very nervous about stuff and about, about everything. I, uh, in fact, uh, there was a, I had a, uh, I had a little incident here here a couple of days ago in another bank, uh, where where I was I was coming in and I was I was withdrawing some money for a specific thing. I came in there, you see, and uh, it was it was not a not a lot of money, but it was again it was not uh, it was not a small amount. It was a fair you know in between decent amount, a specific thing I needed, and so I, I wanted to write, have it in the form of a check, a certified bank check. So I came down there. And I, I filled out all the forms. I had the books and everything else, you know, and they, they, they seemed to go through it in, in routine fashion. Except that I noticed a curious thing happened. They told me, well, now you go over to the desk over there, and uh, Mr. Gumpox will, will uh, he'll have to countersign his check, so you go over there to Mr. Gumpox's desk. Well, I went over to the guy's desk, and I sat down, and he says, what can I do for you? And I told him, and I produced the, the blank check they'd given me with the number and all that, and he read it, and he says, oh, very good. And uh, he's sitting there for a minute. And uh, oh, he says, "Oh, excuse, will you excuse me a couple of minutes?" He said, uh, yeah, "Are you in a hurry?" And I said, "Well, you know, <laughs> I don't want to sit here all afternoon." He said, "Oh, well, I'll just take a couple seconds." He says, "I just got a call. I have to, I have to check on something here. Just a moment. I'll be right back." So he left. He left the desk, and uh, I sat there for about five minutes. And then finally, he came back and sat down. And uh, he said, "Oh, okay." He said, "I'm sorry, I held you up." And he's filling the thing out. He says, okay, and he gives me the thing, and I walked out. Well, it wasn't until about a half an hour later that I met another guy, another friend of mine, who uh, had worked in that bank, and uh, just a uh, coincidence, just a uh, total coincidence. We, we met, and he said, uh, I told him the incident. I just said I was over. He says, oh, he said, well, you know what was going on? I said, no. He says, well, what he was doing, he was, he was calling down a witness, somebody who, who would come and witness the fact that he was giving you this check. Uh, uh, another uh, guy he says you probably didn't notice he came up behind you he says, did you notice your door was your seat was facing away from the door and I said yeah it was that's true he says well he came back with a witness and furthermore he came back with somebody who could identify you by sight and I said oh really and he said yeah that's right he says uh, that's why he, he left the desk and said I'll, I'll be back in a couple and he didn't tell you well I'm going to get somebody to look you over buddy you know so he says, uh, you, you obviously passed the test. And he said, uh, that was their way of checking. So my first impression, of course, was to get a little bit bugged. You know, you know your people tend to be that way. You know, we're very paranoid, you know. My first impression was, oh, uh, rottenness, you know, establishment, you know, what do you mean? It's my money. Then I thought, you know, he says, well, look, he says, buddy, he says, how would you like to come there one day and half of your account is gone? You know, <laughs> some flim-flam artist got a hold of a book or a number or, or a fake, you know. Do you know that there's, there's places in New York today, and in fact in many major cities, where they forge bank books? You know about forged bank books? Well, that's, that's interesting. 
uh, absolutely forged, including the numbers and the whole bit. You know, you can get forged passports. You can get forged almost anything. You know, forged. In fact, there's there's some. Uh, they've caught some guys in the last few years uh, forging. Uh, of course, this is a whole big thing, big problem today. Forging credit cards, where where fake credit cards are made, and then uh, they. Uh, because, you know, the many places will take a credit card without even asking you. I've had this happen to me many times. Like, you're, you're, you know, you're a couple hundred miles from home, maybe a thousand miles from home. You just whip out your card, and uh, the guy doesn't even question. He puts it in the machine, chunk, 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 and out you go. Well, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's, uh, that's better than money, really, because people tend to be very careful about money. They'll look at money. If you, if you give a guy a $50 bill, he's going to look at that thing. But if you give them a credit card, quite often they 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 may, uh, you know, just run it through the machine, and uh, so this is a this is a real big hassle these days. But uh, that moment though in the bank with that check thing there, in fact, uh, how many? Uh, you know, one of one of the one of the most uh, I suspect one of the most consistent feelings that people have, uh, and it's 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 uh, I know where it comes from. I'm not going to theorize, you know, but. Uh, when you go into a bank, a big official place like that where they got guards standing around, and uh, they look at you, and you walk into this place, and there's there's 50 tellers behind the windows and stuff, and you walk in, and you've got you've got legitimate business, you know, you're going to go in there and cash your paycheck, see, and uh, you know some some little thing like that, <laughs> and yeah, you you've got the little books sticking out of your pockets and stuff, and you walk in there. How many of you feel? Well, I think everybody does secretly. You feel this little sense of, of uh, I don't know what it is. It's trepidation that they're going to come over and put the arm on you, or it's uh, it's uh, guilt, <laughs> or and so you, you you tend to look. You try to look very official. You need to stand by the desk there and you fill this stuff up. <laughs> you fill it out, and uh, the the guards are all looking at you. These these elderly gentlemen standing around and I look at you, kind of kind of suspicious. And they all try to pretend like they're actually trying to help you, you see. They, they come with, uh, how many times have you walked in seeing you, and the guard comes over and says, uh, uh, may, I, is, uh, may I help you, you know? And they hear, you know, you can see what you're doing. You're filling out your own paycheck. Now, how the hell can he help you fill out, you know, how can he help you sign your paycheck? Well, what he's doing, you know, is you, you look suspicious. <laughs> he wants to get a closer look at you. <laughs> or did you know what that, that that's, the, that's, that's why it's done? Did you know that, Al? That's right. That uh, that every day, uh, these you know these guys spend a lot of time looking at pictures of suspicious-looking types and guys that have pulled heists all over the country. See, and uh, you come in there, you know, and you got that shifty look in the eye, and you're wearing uh, you're wearing a green bandana that's sticking out of your ears, you know, something like that. And that uh, you could be aware, well, you could very well be the spitting image of the green bandana bandit that uh, has struck in Idaho seven times in the last week. You know, and you walk in there, you know, looking, filling out your paycheck. And, of course, he always follows that same M.O. As you know from uh, watching Adam 12, that means a modus operandi. And uh, his, say, his M.O. always is to come in humming tea for two as he fills out a fake paycheck with the green bandana sticking out of his ears. And five minutes later, he's standing in front of a lady cashier and he's tying her up with her own pantyhose and the whole place is terrorized as he holds the hand grenade up and says, I'm the green bandana bandit. Hand it over. And then he runs out. Well, here you come in. You're going, and you got a green bandana sticking out of your ear. 
the, obviously your paycheck looks fake. You know, the company you're working with, that flim flam outfit that turns them out, you know, they look like a cheesecake or something. You come in, next thing you know, five guards are walking up and saying, oh, can we uh, help you, uh, sir? Uh, uh, can I help you hold a pen? And all the while, he's looking at you, see? <laughs> well, you didn't know that's what they were doing, did you? Well, uh, how, how many times do you feel that, that, that vague sense of, uh, that vague sense of, uh, of, uh, of not fear specifically, but a sense that uh, I better watch it. And, uh, and, and you feel like a fake. You feel like a fraud. You come in, you fill out your stuff, see, and even though you should be there, see, and then you walk up to the teller, and uh, the teller looks up at you, and, and uh, of course, then he has a little sign in front of him that says, Next window, please. So you go to the next window. I'm going into banks with 422 people standing in front of one teller. And all the other windows say, next window. These people are all standing around. Yeah, well, I set the maple. Uh, <laughs> you want to kill them, you know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, you, you, you get up there, you know, and you give the guy the, the, the slips and stuff and all that. And, and uh, he, he says, one, excuse me, one minute, please. He said, he looks at your, 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 your sad little checks, you know. He said, just one minute, please. And he goes back, and he picks up that, that, that tan phone they've all got, you know, and he makes this call. Is that a moment of vague nervousness for you when he's calling that mysterious place? And then he hangs up, and he looks at you with a cold look. <laughs> Comes back over as if, well, all right, buddy, you've pulled it off this time. But the next time, forget it. And then he stamps your, your little checks, and he says, how do you want it? And you say, well, uh, three ones, a five, and uh, make it four ones and a five, and the rest in small change. And, uh, <laughs> he gives you your, <laughs> your petty little thing, you know, and you, you put it in your pocket, and then you go out walking tall. You feel that thing, well... I pull it off again. <laughs> and here you've been perfectly honest. You know, you've been totally legit. And you, you still feel as if, well, gee, the next time, they, they're not going to let me get by with this another time. You know? <laughs> I mean, it, it's going to happen. And, and how many times have you gotten in this? This is a, oh, talk about, I hate to go into banks. There's something about going in and doing all the stuff that really, really bugs me. Did you know that there are bankophiles? Have you ever heard of a bankophile, if you prefer that pronunciation? Well, a bankophile, well, well, you, of course, are probably familiar with the fact of a phenomena of a certain type of person who is hung on mortuaries. Have you ever heard of people who, who, who spend all their spare time going to strangers' funerals and stuff? Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yes. What's well, a fact. In fact, any, any uh, mortuary owner will tell you uh, that uh, that there's a there's an underground strange uh, world of a uh, particularly morbid cuckoo who comes to all the funerals in his place. They show up. You know, there's no no there's no way to keep them out. There's no sign that says don't anybody come. You gotta have a ticket in that. And so every week, you know, when they put out their little signs, uh, the services for so and so will be at ten o'clock on Saturday, and services for so and so will be at uh, four p.m. on Wednesday. There is this crew of people who come to them all and quietly sit in the back there or wherever it is, and they all know each other because they all come to the same funerals. 
And they rarely take cognizance of each other, though. They don't come and say, oh, hello, Charlie. Gee, wasn't that a great one last night? You know, oh, boy. They don't do that. They just come. Do you know about that crew? Well, there is such a crew. And uh, they don't say much about it in the mortuary world. You don't hear much about it. But in, in occasionally in their, in their uh, trade magazines, they will discuss that problem. <laughs> what do you do when, when, the, when it gets to the point where they start... Uh, you know, they start getting to be such crowds, uh, such curious crowds of, of total phony onlookers come in. Well, have you ever wondered, uh, you've probably in your time gone to, a, you know, several funerals. Almost anybody who's, had, was, you know, uh, has gone to funerals in his life. And uh, have you ever gone, uh, let's face it, the funeral has certain elements of drama. And uh, you'll see a family will be, you know, there'll be all kinds of bereavement and all. And quite often, especially if you go to certain funeral parlors, and this is this is the sickest of it all, certain funeral parlors, especially if they're in fairly affluent areas, or uh, particularly here in New York City, that uh, they have a clientele which is uh, fairly high up the rung, you know. Uh, and often these people, the per- person who has died, will know many types of uh, celebrities of one kind or another who will come to a funeral. So these people are, in a curious way, sort of morbid celebrity hunters. And they'll stand around and they'll read the signatures, you know, where you have to sign into a funeral who it is and you write down, uh, uh, it's kind of like a signing book. And they, so so this, this has got all kinds of ramifications, real strange scenes going on. Now, that same phenomena pertains, believe it or not, to banks. In fact, I think that, that one, one, maybe the reason so, I think one of the things that draws people to funerals is because this is a true life situation. It's, a, it's, it's part of the basic uh, life of everybody. I mean, uh, birth, uh, death, and all the rest of it is part of life of everybody in the world. This is, you agree with that? Well, part of that thing, too, is money. No matter where you go, no matter what system exists, whether it's in the communist, capitalist, left, right, in between, that money is a viable part of that system. They have money in Cuba. You know this. They have money in Russia. You're aware of this. Well, money to people is part of their life. It's as ingrained as part of their life as their blood and their everything, see? So uh, people, if they are drawn to the sight of death, are also drawn to the sight of money. Because money has a curious uh, psychological thing. It means life. It means a lot of things. It means experience. Money can be anything. The, the look of a $10 bill has infinite possibilities to it. It can buy an evening in a Spanish bordello. <laughs> it can buy... It can buy flowers that you send to your mother. It can buy almost anything. It can buy a bullet that you can destroy somebody with. In other words, money is, the, is, is in a sense, the uh, sesame to almost anything. It's the, it's the uh, universal elixir in any country. So nothing to do with a capitalistic system or a rotten this, rotten that. And, the, and people who feel that, gee, we can do away with money, uh, is, uh, this is a sad... Uh, uh, total. It's not a utopian crowd. It's a crowd that doesn't realize that there would be a form of money even when you did away with it. 
that ultimately <laughs> there'd have to be a form of script or something which shows that a guy has done a certain amount of things for which he's entitled a certain amount of things which he goes to get for a certain amount of things and uh, so forth. So anyway, the bankers have a problem with people who come who are not robbers or anything. They like to hang around bank lobbies. They like to be near money. And they look at it. They like to see it. <laughs> now, you probably never even read it. You don't, it's never occurred to you, has it, that there are people who like just to look at money. They like to be around it. And they rarely see much of it in their own life. Well, this is an offshoot of the, of the uh, miser, the Silas Marner syndrome. You know, some, to some people, just the sight of money and the feel of money is far more satisfying than what money does. In fact, to them, money is, it has a, it, in other words, it's an end in itself. And so they sit there and cackle, you know, and they, they dribble dollar bills over their head and, uh, and wallow in it. So, so banks have to put up with the scene where people come and just stand around and look at money. And they'll get in lines. They'll walk up and they'll stand right in line. And, 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 and they'll, they just like to watch people do this stuff. And they look in and they, they, they stand there. Like they pretend like they're in a line, you know, to a teller. And then all of a sudden when their turn comes, they say, oh, gee, I just forgot. Oh, wow. And they run out. And they say, oh, I forgot. Oh, shucks, I forgot to bring my ding-dong book. And they turn around and they'll go out then. And sure enough, a half an hour later, they're back in another line. And they'll work right, they'll work right up through the line, and then they'll get up to the front, and they say, oh, I forgot my, uh, oh, oh, well, how silly. And they run out. Ten minutes later, they're in another bank. They go from bank to bank doing this. Now, they're not harmful people. <laughs> they, they just clutter up the premises. Now, that's a, that's a, a, a curious ding-dong. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the weirdest ones. You ready for this one? Okay. What forms one of the most consistent series television shows every season what 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 is on every is, what is it medicine that is correct well hospitals today have a problem with people who just hang around and like to watch and they will come and especially on a saturday night where uh, you know in the emergency uh, you, you've seen the emergency place there where 150 people come in, you know, they're bringing them in, and they're all, you know, there's been all kinds of action around. A big, big fight breaks out in some place, and guys get hit with bottles and that, and they wind up in the emergency, down in the emergency setup down there. Well, people come from miles around just to sit there in the, yeah, in the ante room. They don't, they don't ever go in, you know. They just sit in the ante room, and they always pretend they're friends of somebody. They always say, well, uh, I'm a friend of, uh, of uh, Murphy. He's here. Uh, he's he's here, and they said, "Well, excuse me, can you tell me when he uh, when he was admitted?" Well, uh, he came in about an hour ago, uh, I think, maybe maybe two hours ago. I don't, I'm not sure, but uh, I was just told to come down and meet him. Oh, well, just a moment, I'll go look in the I'll go look in the book. Uh, we don't have anybody by that name here. Well, sure you have. What do you mean? Oh, oh, well, my silly. Wait, is this Bellevue? Oh, for crying out, it's Roosevelt. Yeah, and they run out. See. <laughs> And they, they come and they sit and watch. You didn't know about that crew, did you? Well, they, they, there's a subdivision of that crew. These are doctor fans. Now, uh, we all know that, that most people are, are more, far more interested in Marcus Welby than they are in the patient. 
So whatever the patient has is, is, is really just a medium for Dr. Welby to show how beautiful he is, right, when you're watching one of these things. So, so there are people who will, will, will sit in, in doctors' offices and, and will wait. This is why in many offices they have a rule that when, when the minute somebody walks in, you know, in the ante room where there's a lot of people waiting, the minute they walk in, the receptionist or the nurse or whoever she is gets up immediately and says, uh, um, excuse me, do you have an appointment? They, they try to stop them, see. At which point the person says, no, I want to see the doctor. Well, uh, who do you want to see? Well, I want to see Dr. Smith. Uh, well, what's your problem? Well, I want to discuss it with him. Well, well uh, yes, but, you know, I have to fill out the form here so he knows. Well, no, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to Dr. Smith. It's very personal. Well, it'll be quite a while because Dr. Smith is, uh, he's, he's filled up right now until 3 o'clock, and it's only 1 now. Well, I'll, I'll wait. And they sit there. Well, what are they doing? They sit there, and they love to see all the other sufferers come in, the real ones. And so people will come in that are in trouble. Some people will come in, and you can see they've got problems. Some people have got almost everything ranging from cancer to hangnail, you know, and they're coming in there. And this person is sitting there looking very prim and very serious, you see, and uh, waiting to see Dr. Smith. And sure enough, here it is. It's about 10 minutes to 3, and mysteriously, that woman will or man will get up and go over to the girl and say, uh, excuse me, but... Uh, would you, uh, uh, is it, uh, how much longer? And she'll say, well, it's going to be another 20 minutes. Well, uh, I, I just can't wait today. I just can't wait. And uh, yes, they are. Uh, that's a fact. As a matter of fact, uh, I hate to tell you this, and, it, and I don't want to sound like a, a uh, male chauvinist pig, but uh, this happens to be mostly a feminine problem for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, at no point am I making a, a thing about this. Let's, uh, let's face it, men hang around pool rooms. That's a male problem. And uh, they hang around bad, rotten bars. Uh, the, the point being here that it, it, for some reason, which is beyond my competence, uh, and, I, and I'm speaking here out of the, out of the knowledge of, a, of uh, two physicians, incidentally, two white and who don't know each other, both of whom told me about the same phenomena, and it's been happening to them for years in their offices. It happens to be almost always women. Now, they'll get up and they'll walk over, see, to the nurse and say, Oh, I just can't wait. Will you tell Dr. Smith that uh, I'll be back? Well, when will you be back? Do you want to make an appointment? No, I'll call. And they leave. <laughs> well, this is fascinating. You never thought of this, did you? This, this, it happens all the time. So uh, this is, a, this is an, a shifting underground world of people who... who uh, then, then uh, there, of course, there's other, other organizations. Any place that has a, uh, in a sense, where there's a lot of activity going on draws people whose lives are empty of activity. They have this problem in uh, one of the saddest crowds are the people who every day go to the airport because, you know, they see television all the time, and it's so exciting uh, they always see people running and going to Bermuda and going to Portugal and going to Spain and they're going off to Paris. And the, the whole concept of aviation and flying and the, the, the jet set and the with it people and all this stuff is, is really a fantastic lure to them. But they've never been part of it. They, they've never taken a plane anywhere and they, they earn thirty seven fifty working down at the cleaning store and, and uh, they don't have any drama in their own life. But every night they get on the bus and they go out to... Kennedy Airport, 
and they'll go to usually the international terminal because you see a lot of celebrities go through there. You have to, you know. But people who are traveling to Spain or to Europe or to, to, uh, to the Asia, to, to Tokyo, to any place. So they, they just sort of hang around. They sit and they, they, uh, they get up and they, they usually carry a newspaper or something like they're waiting for something. Often they'll have a flight bag. They bought a little uh, $2 flight bag that says Olympic Airlines or something on the outside of it. And they always try to look like they're going someplace. And yet, they're, they're just the watchers. And uh, guards uh, of these places know that the, that the watchers, the, the rail birds, are, are, are an integral part of the airport scene. Uh, <laughs> this used to be true at train stations. But the, the people used to come down to Penn Station or to Grand Central and just hang around and watch, especially when famous trains would come and go, like the 20th Century Limited or the... Broadway Limited or the Sunshine Special or one of the great trains that was going to Hollywood, you know, El Capitan, one of these great trains. They, was all, they were always hoping to see these glamorous people getting off and on. And now it's all shifted to airports. These little people sit there and they watch things going. And so right now at this minute, there are, there are doctor's offices and, and emergency waiting rooms and airports and planes and mortuaries and banks all filled with people just watching it all go on just the, the silent watchers they're totally harmless or at least they seem to be they rarely make any overt moves well right here in broadway uh there's a, there's a crew of people for as long as i know who just come and stand in lobbies of theaters they never go to the shows they wait till the show breaks for uh, between the acts and they just go and stand among all the people. Gives them a sense like, you know, they're, they're part of the... They really do. They think they're part of the Broadway scene. And uh, they're a great, great crowd of watchers. Englishmen often write about these people. Americans rarely do. Very, very, very few writers in America write about the watchers. Uh, did you, do you remember the, uh, the pumpkin eater? It's a watcher. And uh, they're just standing, watching, constantly watching the emergency cases come in and Jackie Kennedy flying out, just going on and on. Uh, WOR New York, and next, Lester Smith in the news.